Well, it truly is wonderful to be able to worship here together in the house of the Lord on the day that we remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ on this Easter Sunday. Um, it's amazing. I have many friends in many different places all over the United States and the world, and some of them I woke up this morning and they had already had their Easter services because they're on the other side of the world. It's an amazing thing to think about all of the, the church of God gathered together today to celebrate the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And so let's talk about that today. Let's dive into God's Word and see the risen Christ, see Jesus there on that morning. I invite you to take your Bibles today and turn to Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to consider verses 1 through 10 today and see this idea that that Jesus is risen just as he said. And we're going to see that from the resurrection today, all of the things that Jesus said about himself, all the promises he made, and and everything that that he predicted, they are true because he is risen. That is the confirmation and the affirmation of everything that Jesus has said. In Matthew 28, we read in verses 1 through 10, Now after the Sabbath, as as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee, where you there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Father, we thank you now for the time we have set aside in our service today to open your word, to examine what it has to say to us today. And We ask that today as we look at this wonderful, beautiful resurrection text, that you would again... Fill us with the hope of the gospel, the joy of salvation, and you would give us the courage and the boldness to proclaim these things to others, that you would resonate these truths in our heart and show us that because Jesus is risen, we have life. And because Jesus is risen, we have hope, and because Jesus is risen, all authority is given to him. And we ask that you would use your word in our lives today to mold us, to make us, to change us more and more into the image of Jesus himself. May you be honored and glorified and magnified by all that is said and done. In your name we pray. Amen. On Friday night, we were here for our Good Friday service, and there we, we remembered the cross of Jesus Christ. And I want to take you back to Friday evening 
and the things that we talked about there and Pastor Wiggins shared with us. Because I want you to take that feeling that the disciples that Jesus, of Jesus and others who associated him would have had as they walked away from the, the, the events that happened that day when Jesus died on the cross and he was buried. Because despair, dejection, distress, and defeat were the feelings and emotions and mindsets that took place and, took, and found root in the hearts of the disciples following his death. The darkest hour of their lives had come swiftly. And the whole of what they believed would happen had come crashing down around them. Their Messiah, son, friend, and rabbi was dead. Life, however abnormal it would seem, would eventually go on. But for now, the scared disciples hid, the people wept, and they all wondered what was next. And it is then that everything changed. The Sunday morning following Jesus' death, we read the account before us today in Matthew 28, and we see that the grave would claim no ultimate victory. And instead, all of Jesus' words, claims, and promises would be proved true at the greatest event in human history, his own resurrection. And when you look at this passage before us today, what you see is that Jesus' resurrection validates his claims as the Christ and demands our allegiance to and personal trust in him. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, that, that God the Father has vindicated God the Son, Jesus Christ, because of the, way, the things that he has done that fit in the will of the Father. We've talked about that, if you've been with us, and we looked at the book of John, how God the Son, that is Jesus, is always in concert with God the Father as a member of the Trinity. And Jesus' resurrection, that he, he did not stay dead, but instead himself was raised up validates everything he claimed as the Messiah, as the one, the promised one who would come and make all things right and bring men to the Father. And that resurrection also demands something of us that we see throughout the passage today. But the first thing that we see as we begin to to unfold this text here is in the first four verses of this text, you see here uh, some startling events that take place. In In verse one, notice the group that comes here to the tomb. It's it's a very, uh, really an unbelieving group. It says, now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. So as we open this chapter, we're met with a new week. Jesus, having been crucified at the end of the, the previous week, has now been dead for three days. And following his death, the the Jewish um, the, 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 Israel, the, the, country, the nation of Israel, the Jews, observed what would be the last God-ordained Sabbath. See, as part of God's law, the Jews observed the Sabbath. But Jesus came to fulfill the law and to establish a new covenant. The events of the dawning day are going to change everything. And it's here, as, John, or as Matthew tells us on this first day of the week that we know as Sunday, that we meet a familiar group. If you've read the Gospels, you'll, you'll know that there are women who were close to Jesus in his ministry, and here they are coming to the tomb. 
And here, Matthew focuses on two women in particular. He talks about Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. The other Mary is the mother of of James and Joseph. She's also the wife of a man named Clopas. And she is mentioned in Matthew chapter 27 and John 19. We are also told in in other accounts uh, of of the resurrection that it wasn't just these two Marys, but there were other women who came to the tomb that morning as well. We know that Salome, who was the mother of James and John, the disciples of Jesus, was also there as well as another woman named Joanna. And they were coming here to the tomb on, for what is for them, an important mission. They are hoping to anoint Jesus' body there in a show of compassion for him in his burial. And we must note that what they were coming to do is an extremely compassionate thing to do. It is an extremely caring and selfless act that someone could do for someone who had passed away. But we must also understand that there's something else that's communicated here. It really communicates in their lives there is still a level of unbelief in their hearts. They had heard Jesus' words and promises of resurrection, but they did not yet believe them. The sight of Jesus' death was too much for them to overcome. And I don't say that this morning that we may look back 2,000 years later and judge them and say, hey, how could you not believe that? Because let's be honest, how many of us who stood there that day and had heard Jesus say those things, but we stood at the foot of the cross and watched Jesus be executed and him seemingly do nothing that he says he could do, how many of us would feel the same way? And here they come to the tomb that day, expecting to find his body there, and hopeful that someone would let them in that they may minister to him one last time. And so if you have that in your mindset, you have that in your mind's eye, and you understand why they were coming and the mindset behind why they were coming, then the scene that unfolds before them is quite a shock. Because you're coming to a tomb, expecting it to be closed, expecting to be a, a body to be in there, and when they come, they find no such thing in verses 2 through 4. And behold... There was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. So for the second time in the events that surround the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, an earthquake occurs. One happened as well when he was on the cross. This time... It is associated with the appearance of an angel here at the tomb. So there is a, at the the mouth of this tomb, there is a heavy sealing stone that has been put in place. But what has happened is that angel has come and rolled away the stone, and now the angel sits on that stone outside the tomb. And let's make one thing very clear here, folks. The angel did not come and roll away the stone so that Jesus could come out of the tomb. By the time the angel rolled away the stone, Jesus was already gone. He came and rolled away the stone so that other people could see what had happened. We read in the scriptures after this that Jesus is is no longer limited by these physical, the things of this physical world. We read several times of him disappearing or passing through walls. Jesus had already raised and was gone. And now we turn to the angel that is there on the scene. He is a messenger 
sent directly from the Lord for this very special occasion. We read that he is dressed in white, and that symbolizes the purity and the holiness of God. Furthermore, Matthew tells us that he has an incredible appearance. He describes his countenance as like lightning. And if you read that and think it sounds like he's trying to describe something that's hard to describe, that's exactly what's going on here. What you're seeing here is that God had chosen to emanate through this angel some of his own glory to those who are around him. And if you read throughout the scriptures, especially if you read there um, in, in Exodus about when Moses beheld just the smallest part of God's glory, it's always seen to, to mankind as, as a, some type of blinding or white light because we in our sinfulness can't comprehend the glory of God. And so what we see here is the glory of God that has been shared with this angel for this specific purpose emanating from him. And the clothing and the appearance of this angel very clearly signifies that he is a messenger from God. He's not an agent of Satan. He is not a mere mortal. And right away, we see the reaction of one group to his appearance. Because here we see in verse 4, there's a group of guards that has been stationed outside the tomb. The religious leadership of Israel feared that Jesus' disciples would would attempt to steal Jesus' body and then go around and tell people, hey, he's risen from the dead. And if you again, if you've been here and we've talked about the book of John or you're familiar with the Gospels, you know that for them that's the worst possible thing that could happen because because they they were so opposed to Jesus and what he said. And so these religious leaders, they didn't believe it would actually happen. They didn't really believe that Jesus would rise from the dead. So in their own minds, they deducted, well, what's the plan that could be concocted, right? And so that's what they said. Well, if he's not really going to raise from the dead, then his disciples are going to come and steal his body and tell people he raised from the dead. And so they appealed to the ruler, Pilate, who oversaw Jesus' trial for a guard and we see right before our chapter today their answered requests. If you're there in Matthew 28, you just bump up to Matthew 27 and verse 68. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. So these men have been charged with protecting the tomb. They felt the earthquake. They saw the angel, and we see what happens in verse 4. Upon experiencing these things and beholding these things, they are filled with fear. They literally, Matthew tells us here, shook with fear, and then they fell over paralyzed by that same fear. And the idea here from the text seems to be that in the trauma they experienced from this, they became unconscious. That's why he talks about they acted like they were dead. And it's understandably so, because again, if you and I experience the things that they experience, wouldn't we also be subject to great fear? I mean, if you read throughout Scripture, whenever an angel appears, you know what very quickly comes after that? The words, fear not. We say, why were they afraid? Trust me then, you've never seen an angel, okay? Neither have I, okay? (laughs) Because there's a reason they always say, fear not, The appearance of angels in Scripture evokes a response so often of fear when, because when faced with the glory of God, we as sinful human beings will respond in fear. These men are, are down for the count, so to speak, but the women, they still stand by. And now 
we see the declaration of fulfilled promises they receive. Not only do we see the startling events that happen, but then the angel begins to unfold for them the fulfilled promises of God. Look at verses 5 and 6 and see the promised resurrection. But the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. For he has risen as he said. Come. See the place where the Lord lay. Now, before we continue, it should be noted that somewhere in the beginning of this account, when the women observed the stone had been rolled away, Mary Magdalene left. We read that this morning in the book of John, how Mary saw the things that were going there, and she ran to go tell the disciples. She went and told John and Peter of the things that she had seen. She did not experience the angel's appearance or his subsequent message. But the angel now, turning his attention to these women who are left, calls for them not to be afraid. Now, the soldiers had every right to be afraid. They experienced the terror of of the revelation of the angel here. And honestly, with Jesus' body missing, they could then face death from their own government. On the other hand, these women had nothing to fear. Because, Jesus, because the angel brought them and all the world a message of incredible truth and grace. That they had come seeking Jesus and they would not find him there. The greatest truth in all the world is wrapped up in those four words that you have before you. He is not here. Because if Jesus was there, He was still dead. If Jesus was there, Satan had won. If Jesus was there, salvation had not been secured. If Jesus was there, he was not God. But Jesus was not there. He is risen. Jesus had the power and authority to both lay down his life, he said, and to take it up again. The scripture is also clear. That God the Father and God the Holy Spirit were active in the resurrection of Jesus because Jesus' work of redemption for mankind was vindicated by the Father and he was raised to life, defeating death and hell once and for all. And this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. Jesus predicted multiple times his coming death and resurrection. In the book of Matthew alone, we read in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Matthew 17, verses 22 and 23, Now while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And the third day he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. Matthew 20, verses 17 through 19, Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. Jesus had said these things to his disciples and those who were around him over and over again. 
And had Jesus still been in the tomb, as these ladies and his disciples expected, he wouldn't have been a liar. But since he was not, he is to be recognized as Lord. Jesus fulfilled his word, and these women, having been the first ones to arrive after this event, are the first to observe the evidence of these things. They are invited by the angel into the tomb and to see that here where Jesus lay, the place is indeed empty. And with that promise fulfilled, Jesus then gives the women, or the angel, I'm sorry, then gives the women another promise to pass along in verse 7. Not only do we see the promised resurrection, but now we see the promised meeting. He says, and, and go quickly. And tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So for the disciples hiding in Jerusalem, God had a message that Jesus will come to meet them in the area of Galilee. Now these women are to go and proclaim this message. Jesus not only came back to life, But now he was going to show himself to these 11 men who were closest to him and to others. We read throughout the various gospel accounts, the the encounters that several men and women had with Jesus during this time. They all prove one thing. Jesus is alive. And as he fulfilled the promise of his resurrection, He will now fulfill the promise of his appearing. He had said in Matthew 26, 32, But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus' ultimate appearance to his disciples would be in Galilee, where many of them were from, and where he had ministered so often. And so the women now leave, filled with hope, and yet still a little bit of fear, as they enjoy And I enjoy here yet another wonderful encounter we see in these last few verses here. We see uh, in verses 8 through 10, the renewed hope that they have. Look at verse 8 and see the joyful departure that they have there. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. I want to draw you back again to the opening portion of this text when the women approached the tomb that day. And I want you to imagine with me again the mood, the somber experience of that. They were filled with grief, confusion, perhaps anger and hopelessness. This man whom they loved so dearly, they followed so devoutly and trusted so deliberately, was gone. But now, as they leave the tomb, their hearts are no longer saddened. Instead, they are filled, as Matthew tells us, with fear and joy. We say, well, why are they still filled with fear? I believe they are still filled with fear because of everything they've just experienced still that they've seen. But the overriding emotion and the overriding feeling is joy. They have received the greatest news in the history of mankind that Jesus has risen and he is alive. And so they rush to tell the disciples what they have heard and seen. And along the way, they have an incredible encounter. We see in verses 9 and 10, the worshipful encounter that they have with Jesus. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. 
So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So as the women hurry down the road to, to do what the angels told them to do, they meet Jesus. And it's really interesting, you, you read here that Matthew says that, that Jesus greeted them with this word rejoice. And if you look at the, the, the Greek text, you look back at, at the, the, the Greek language, you find that this really is kind of a common greeting. You know, it's almost like saying hello or, or good morning or uh, when you read rejoice. And that feels so mundane, doesn't it? For such an extraordinary thing that here they are and then here comes Jesus and he just greets them like he normally would. But what an amazing thing. The women recognize him instantly and fall down and worship to him. We see that they grab hold of his feet. That's important. He's not a vision. He's actually physically alive. They take hold of him and praise and adoration. Any doubts they may have are now melted away. And here Jesus speaks to them personally. He encourages them to let go of any lingering fear and instead go and tell the disciples the good news of what they have seen. They had the greatest news of the world. And now they were given a mission to accomplish with that news. And the news of this day would spread. The disciples would experience Jesus for themselves. And from this day, the message of the resurrection would become central to the gospel. Because if Jesus is not raised, we have no hope. If Jesus is not raised, we have no life. But my friend, Jesus is raised. And that message continues today. And with Jesus' resurrection, fulfilling his promises, there are other things that are true for our lives. The resurrection of Jesus, which happened just as he said it would, has implications for us today. And I want to look just briefly as we close our time today at some resurrection implications for our lives today. Number one, because Jesus is raised, Jesus possesses all authority. Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection. I showed you some of those passages this morning. He claimed that no one could take his life from him, but he would lay it down willingly. And in so doing, he has authority to bring it, to raise it back up unto himself again. My friend, none of us can say that. We, we, we have no say in our own birth, let alone our own death. But Jesus has all authority over life and death. And Jesus also then in his authority claimed victory over Satan. He who opposed God from the beginning, opposing the perfect creation with sin, was defeated at the cross and at the resurrection. Sin brings death. Jesus brings life. And Jesus, through his sinless life, substitutionary death, and resurrection, proves his authority over sin and Satan. He claims authority over death, and he will deliver all those who trust in him. So therefore, as the creator and redeemer... Jesus also then has authority over you and me. 
Jesus reigns supremely and must be worshipped. And my friend, you will bow the knee and worship Jesus as king. And if you do not do it in this life, you will do it in eternity. And if you wait until then, though you will undoubtedly and indisputably recognize him as king, it will be too late to save your eternal soul from damnation. There is no salvation from sin and death without the recognition of Jesus' supreme authority over our lives. Because Jesus is risen as he said, his authority over all things is confirmed. And his lordship must be recognized if you and I are to receive him as our personal Lord and Savior. So not only does Jesus, the resurrection show us that Jesus owns all authority, but secondly, the resurrection proves that Jesus loves you and I deeply. The whole purpose of Jesus' incarnation, his perfect life, his death and resurrection is because he loves you. We are sinners, and Jesus died for us. We are condemned to death. Jesus rose to give us life. My friend, this is love beyond degree. Jesus' resurrection validates everything he said about that. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He is the truth of God's revelation. He is the way to God the Father. He is our life. And what wondrous love is this, that Jesus would do this for us. Because he lives and loves us, we can live with him and know his love completely in a relationship with him. So not only do we see that Jesus, through the resurrection, possesses all authority, Jesus loves you deeply, and lastly today we see because of the resurrection, Jesus is validated as the ultimate judge. In John chapter 5, Jesus claims there all authority as equal with the Father to judge all mankind. Jesus will be the judge of all human beings. And for all who place their faith in Jesus as Savior, confessing him as Lord, that's good news. Because you'll stand before a judge that you have a personal relationship with who died in your place to pay the price for your sin. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, knowing Jesus is your judge doesn't fill you with fear. It fills you with hope. It fills you with love. It fills you with a desire to know him more. But for those who reject Jesus, knowing Jesus is your judge is a fearful thing indeed. Jesus is the only way, and he is the only judge. His standard is all that matters, and his provision for you is all there is. You who have been declared righteous before God because of faith in Jesus, you are vindicated forever. But you who do not, Jesus says, will face eternal punishment justly earned by your sin. So look to the resurrection and trust in Jesus. And Christian, 
Look to the resurrection and rejoice in Jesus. And see that Jesus' resurrection validates his claims as the Christ and demands our allegiance to and personal trust in him. The resurrection of Jesus almost 2,000 years ago took place just as Jesus said it would. Jesus' life and ministry were validated in one momentous occasion as he arose from the dark domain to wrest victory from Satan once and for all. All Jesus' words, actions, claims, and promises then are just as true today as they were then. The resurrection points you to the Savior. Jesus possesses all authority, loves you with an everlasting love, and is your ultimate judge. And if you have never trusted him as your personal Lord and Savior, my friend, today is the day to do so. He will give you life in himself. He will give you new life to live for him. And one day, you too will be raised to eternal life with him. For believers, the resurrection is the key to it all. Everything we believe hinges on this momentous event. So let the resurrection of Jesus fill you anew with hope today. Let the resurrection of Jesus fill you anew with conviction to live for him today. Let the resurrection of Jesus fill you with a message to share with others today. Because Jesus lives, you will live with him. Because Jesus lives, you can live for him. And because Jesus lives, let us declare him. He is risen, just as he said. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its power to transform our lives. Thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you for preserving these things for us to read today. And thank you for your work that you do in our hearts and lives. Lord, we have had just a few minutes today to see these things from your word. We ask that as we will walk out of this place in a few minutes, that you would continue to bring these things back to our hearts and minds, that they would continue to resonate with us throughout the day, and that you would continue your work in our lives. Lord, I pray for one who may hear these things today who needs Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. That you would draw them to yourself. You would give them the courage and the boldness to make a decision that will change their lives forever. For Christians that are here today, Lord, would you anew and afresh call us to your service. Convict us of our sin. Show us how we can continue to live lives transformed by the gospel, lives that are given in service to you and you alone. Lord, we would ask that you would continue to mold us and change us. You would help us to be lights in a dark world. We admit that 
We live in a very dark place. And probably many in this room long for the return of Jesus Christ as king. But until then, Lord, we have a job to do. We have a mission. We ask that you would help us to fulfill it wherever you have placed us. Be with us now as we close our service and prepare to go our separate ways. Help us to honor you in these things. In your name we pray. Amen.